0: there and welcome back to the show. This is Heather. Just wanted to give you a quick heads up that the beginning of this episode might feel a little bit different because we don't really introduce our guest and go into their story. That is because our guest today has worked and continues to work in very sensitive spaces. And we just really wanted to honor that in having him on with us today. So with that, we're really excited to bring this episode to you and hope you enjoy it.
1: I do everything I'm asked to do in terms of fundraising. I do all those things. Like, I'm not sitting here doing nothing, just praying. Yeah. But so frequently, it is not related to some particular effort, it is very frequently related to prayer.
0: Welcome to It's Not About the Money, a podcast in search of grounded fundraising. I'm Heather, and together with my co host, Andy, we look beyond the quick tips and formulas. Join us as we explore the nuance and complexity of ministry fundraising. If you want to thrive in partner development, not just survive it, this is the place for you. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we are talking again on the topic of fundraising and spiritual warfare. We got started today thinking we would do a recap episode, but as we started talking with our guest, it just became clear that he had a lot of really good things to say. And so we wanted to bring this to you as its own episode.
2: Mm -hmm. We pivoted because we feel like this deserves the extra attention.
0: Yes. And I will note, simply because we're talking about spiritual warfare, that in trying to record (laughs) this episode, we have experienced the most technical difficulties to date. So... Maybe do with
2: coincidental, that... who knows? Yeah, yeah. But maybe do with no. that what you will. <laughs> um, but um, it,
1: blame, the, blame the devil, I think that's probably fair enough. It's safe. But in any yeah. case, um, it is great, it's great to be with you guys here this morning and talk about a topic that I really enjoy. Um, it's weird to say you enjoy fundraising, but I'm not a fundraiser mm. by nature uh, or by profession. I am actually an academic with a background in teaching English and training others, uh, what we call in a fancy way, applied linguistics. And so my first love actually is teaching, not fundraising. Hmm. But I probably fell into fundraising by accident at a university I worked at almost 20 years ago, where we were trying to get a new building together for our apartment. And I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know how to do it. Um, I had done it personally, actually, for an organization I was working for, but I'd never done it on a large scale on a corporate level and learned an awful lot from people who knew quite a lot. Um, yeah. The biggest thing we learned was that you've got to put in, here's the takeaway, you could just stop after all of this. Uh, the takeaway is you got to put in all the effort, and you got to pray. Mm-hmm. And frequently, the effort and the result, you get the result, but it's not necessarily directly linked to a particular effort that you made. Right. And I think that's the mysterious, the mystique part of it is that if you don't put the effort in, you almost never raise it.
3: Hmm. Uh, but if right.
1: you can put the effort in and then you get it some other way, that happens a lot. So that's part of the mystery of all this, I guess.
2: So you never were able to just sit back on a couch and pray the funding in?
1: I have a story that I'll tell you maybe later <laughs> okay. similar to that, but it's never, it's never in the absence of work.
2: Yes. Ever. Right. Okay. Gotcha. And so,
1: um, and in fact, that's probably a good model for our entire faith journey. Is that mm. It's never in the absence of work, mm. and it's sometimes not related to the work we did. Mm. I don't know how that works. I don't, I don't, I don't know the math of that. Yeah, it's a mystery. But I, I do think it's related to co-laboring and what that actually means. Co-laboring with God. Yeah. I
3: think. Yeah. Um,
1: that he, that he enjoys the effort with us. I think it's similar to my friend who was noting that his his five-year-old son help, helping in the garage, using air quotes, helping in the garage. Mm-hmm. You know, why Why did he let his son help him in the garage? He wasn't actually doing anything, but mm-hmm. he just liked being in the garage with his son. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think that's often how mm-hmm. God is with us,
3: mm-hmm. is that
1: he likes being in the garage with us. And he, every once in a while, he hands a screwdriver and says, hold this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and as as we get better and better at things, I think he likes to do more and more things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Much similar but graduate,
2: graduate to the table saw, right. Yeah, maybe Pretty the soon, Yeah, you,
1: you won't put you on the table first. That's, right, that's, that's one thing.
2: You right, he knows better. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. I I picked up that you said you weren't a fundraiser by nature, and that just makes me kind of question. I wonder what percentage of the population is a fundraiser by nature. It seems like it's not not a natural skill. It's something that is is quite learned for most people. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, there's probably some people that, you know, some of the elements of fundraising, like casting vision or um, talking with a lot of people, meeting people you don't know, there's elements that are in the fundraising journey Mm -hmm. that I think some people really love. Mm
3: -hmm. But yeah, I
0: think you're right that it's probably, there's no one fundraiser personality or one like ideal fundraiser. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's not like the most outgoing personality. The most successful people don't have necessarily the most outgoing personality it's sort of like a used car salesman is not necessarily a good salesperson the best salesperson is when you don't even know you're being sold to mm-hmm. but you mm-hmm. want to buy it mm-hmm. you know and I think that um that good fundraising is related not to a scheming mindset but to a relational mindset mm-hmm. Right, like you're not thinking of the best strategy necessarily you're thinking of I enjoy people and I want them to get as much out of this as I get out of it and how can I
2: help
3: yeah. them
1: join in the process yeah yeah that There's... could be a whole nother podcast
2: I remember a conversation I had with you I'm going to say a year or two maybe 3 years ago um and I was you were commenting on oh we, we you were commenting on how sometimes people feel like they're going to disappoint people or they're going to be an intrusion on people's life when they ask for funds but the the takeaway that I remember you saying was in reality the vast majority of the people that you talk to are going to be thrilled that you're doing what you're doing, that you're sticking, you're taking a step yeah. of faith and you're obeying and you're, you're doing something and you're participating They have a chance to participate in something that's far beyond them.
1: Yeah. And I think I would still agree with me <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> on that one. And I, you know, the the thing is the people that support you are those people and the ones who don't support you often be the, are the ones you know, the ones that come to you with a critical question, you know, that's an impossible question to answer. Right. You know, they think they've got you, you know, they're probably not going to support you. And yet we spend a lot of time thinking about those people and how to mm. win them over mm-hmm. when you've got these really, you know, you've got people who want to be with you and want to share in that experience and you know, call it the blessing as well of your work. You're going somewhere to some country they could never go to and they get to participate in it. Yeah. Like I, I even, you know, my wife and I support uh, a young woman who works in like the worst part of the city where I live. Like it's the worst part in the worst part of the worst city for, for for those particular um, social problems, Mm. you know, in all of North America, Mm. I would never want to work. Mm. But by supporting her, I get, I get a little finger in her, in her effort. And I, I, we feel that excitement Mm. of being part of something that it doesn't mean I don't ever have to do that. I don't think of it that way. I just think I'm doing my thing. She's doing her thing and I get to participate a little bit with her. And I think a lot of our supporters are like that, you know, and then you ask them, you know, I want to go get a master's degree. Will you help me? Well, most of them will say, yes, I do want to help you. Yeah. You know, you're a good investment and you want to improve your value. I want to help you do that.
2: And part of your role is professional development. That's why you're kind of thinking along the terms of if I want to get a master's, I should.
1: Correct. So in the organization that I work in, a lot of people are needing to improve themselves, improve their their skills by getting a graduate degree in something.
3: Yeah.
2: And so, okay. you
1: know, we're often trying to encourage them to do that. And they're often, well, I don't have any money. Well, actually, you do. Yeah. You know, you're, you've got all these supporters who really love what you're doing. Well, I don't want to ask them. Well, they want to be asked.
3: Right. You know, right.
1: Not everybody wants to be asked, but sometimes people don't even know they, they want to support you until. Yeah until you ask
2: them. And what we say a lot of times to what the people that we work with is if you ever feel like you are in a mode where you are scheming or manipulating or trying to sell or, or pitch something at just the right angle, well you're you're not doing it right. That's not the that's Yeah, not you need point. to
0: stop and recalibrate. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and you probably won't even be that successful. You've mm-hmm. got to what you need to do is ask for love. Honestly, you gotta mm-hmm. pray for love. And mm-hmm. pray for love of other people. Mm-hmm. And and I can tell you, I've fallen short in feeling that for other people, including the country where I work.
3: Mm. Which, Okay,
1: you can punish yourself for that, or you can ask the Holy Spirit to give you more love, mm. and He will give you more love. Mm. And I can remember times when I felt like I was living out of my own effort, my own love for an entire country. I was ready it honestly didn't care what happened to them, you know, and I was so fed up. And I, I caught myself, prayed, and said, I need love for these people, or I can't keep doing this. Mm. And it came back nearly instantaneously it sounds like a magic trick but it wasn't mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. you know ask for it and you're going to get it mm-hmm. and if you don't ask for it don't be surprised that you don't get it it's mm-hmm. a pretty simple mm-hmm. equation right mm-hmm. and so uh even to the point of feeling an affection like the feeling of love came back like i missed them like mm. oh i'm thinking about that person or this person the conversations we've had and how much i enjoyed that you know which was a, a 180 from what i might have been fe- feeling like a month before yeah part of this topic is spiritual warfare yeah but Part of that is, is a proactive battle of, um, of inviting the Holy Spirit to, to give you the things that you need uh, in order to get through what you're trying to do.
2: So you have lived and served in some pretty extreme environments. Maybe you can just unpack, yeah. as much as you feel comfortable, how those environments forced you to shift some of your theology even.
1: Oh, wow, you don't have enough time.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: Skip the surface, yeah. Uh, well, Maybe as it relates to, yeah, to spiritual every... warfare.
1: Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll keep... You can edit afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> you, can,
3: <laughs> you can edit
1: afterwards. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, so... Yeah, so I, I, I don't want to exactly name this particular country, but it's in Northeast Asia. Mm-hmm. The countries where we go are... If you were to... And in fact, I've done this, you know, list three places where you think it's impossible to go. And the three places that people inevitably choose are the places we actually go. Yeah. And so, um, so one of those places is where I spent a good part of my career up and on for 20 years
3: mm.
1: and been back and forth to this awesome place yeah. many times. I don't know, 20, 30, 40 times probably. Mm. And so, you know, we've always felt welcome there on a personal level. Like mm-hmm. uh, the people are very warm towards us, they want us to be there, their government wants us to be there. We've enjoyed them. They're, they're they're lovely. They're lovely people. Not, I mean, let never have any frustrations. I don't mean that. I yeah. mean that that uh, that they make us feel like we belong. And on a spiritual level, frequently felt very unwelcome, which is a hard thing to put your finger on hmm. on what that means. But it could kind of um, show itself in uh, a feeling of darkness or discomfort, or it could be as literal or visible as uh, really terrible nightmares at night
3: mm.
1: uh, or it could it could actually be seeing something with your actual eyes that mm. is of a spiritual nature and um, all of those things have happened to me and when I first started going there, I didn't have a theological framework for that at all. I mm. grew up in a fairly regular fellowship you know that had no charismatic leanings whatsoever. Mm. And I don't think charismatics have a, a handle on this maybe at all but Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're open, probably more open to the idea of there being more spiritual worker than your average
3: mm.
1: evangelical is. Mm-hmm. But in any case, there was a shift in my mindset, not to kind of charismatic theology, but to an awareness that the amount of activity that's going on is vastly higher, uh, more substantial than what I had ever imagined. Right. And then at first I thought, well, it's because I'm in this country, there's just more of it going on in this country. Mm. That's what I thought. Mm. Mm. Uh, Because it's overseas, you know, you hear, well, those things happen in that continent or this continent and they don't happen to us here in in North America. And I now think that's completely wrong. (laughs) I think there is is much or even more going on, not because you can visibly see more bad things happening here, but because it's, it's simple math in that we are very familiar with our own problems. I mean, if you put it in psychological terms, you'd say that we have habituated to our own evil. (laughs)
3: Like Mm. we're,
1: we're, we're we're so used to to the things that we see that we don't count them even as spiritual. Hmm. Um, and then you go to a different country, and these things are they're a little different. They've just got a little different angle to them. So mm-hmm. everything seems to jump out at you as wow, there's way more of it going on here. But I don't think there actually is. I think hmm. that there's you know there's a different type of thing going on in different places because the nature of the of the spirits that are at work there and the and the people who are engaged in certain things that draw them to those countries and mm. so we have our own vices and they draw a certain type of spirit and other countries or other places or even other cities have their own vices and they draw that particular spirit now this is you're not going to find this in scripture this is me talking like a like someone i've someone who's experienced it and, and is making a hypothesis about it sure. So i wouldn't take this as something you write down and say that's the way it works it's Okay. I'm guessing on some of this stuff, and I'll try and tell you when it is I'm guessing.
2: Okay, that's helpful. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, the question is, how did my theology switch with the experiences that I've had? When I started seeing what was going on in other countries and realizing that um, there's a lot of things in my own life and in my own culture that are, that have parallels, I started realizing I wasn't equipped to deal with what I saw was going on. Mm -hmm. So in, in the country I was in, it came to a head with really terrible nightmares that I was having.
3: Mm.
1: And then a lot of, a lot of tension on the team, which was a lot of it was just us being people, uh, undisciplined people. Mm. We would say things to each other that didn't, it didn't sound like us in a way. It was like, it felt like we had like all the buttons, all my bad buttons were being pushed constantly. And mm. I, I would say that was true of the others as well. And so we were fighting a lot with each other. And then, you know, one night I remember, Um, waking up from a terrible nightmare and then my wife woke up and she saw something floating around in the room on a spiritual spiritual level, Mm. like went around our apartment into our kids' room and I didn't see it, but I felt it. Mm. And in desperation, I kind of blurted out in the name of Jesus, get out of here. Mm. And immediately I could feel it leave. Like I could, I could feel not only that it was gone, but I could feel, it was weird, and I don't know how this works theologically, but I felt like its proximity, it got further and further away. Like, I could feel it almost geographically. Mm-hmm. Like, it was, a, a maybe maybe the Holy Spirit gave me kind of a heightened sense. I don't even know. Like, I wouldn't want to go beyond that as speculation. Brilliant. But what I did know was that, despite my complete lack of conviction in the words that I used, the word made that thing go away. Interesting. And not only that, but That kind of thing over the next few months made the dreams go away as well. Or the dreams happened, but they lost their sting, which is something I hear quite a lot Mm. from people who have bad nightmares. Once they understand that the authority of Jesus' name is more powerful than the spirit that's provoking you, Mm -hmm. and then they use it and they command it to go in Jesus' name, that the things that seem to have a lot of like fear inducing ability or they would linger with you all day and you think about it, It was a momentary thing and it was gone and not another matter, with Mm. no more matter of concern for the rest Mm. of the day, Mm. for another two minutes, even. A friend of mine described this beautifully as, you know, I still have dreams every once in a while, but they don't have any sting to them. Right. So it's like having a wasp, but they never land and sting on you. Mm. You know, so. Um, which I think is probably not a bad picture of the way things actually are. You don't have to kill the wasps, I don't think. You just
0: keep them away. That reminds me of a song that I recently sure. heard by Ross King. It's called The Things That I'm Afraid Of, and it basically has a line that says, the things that I'm afraid of are afraid of you, just mm. reflecting on God's power. And really, ultimately, anything that we would be afraid of is under the authority mm. of God, or it or has to submit mm. to when God exerts that authority.
1: Yeah, I think they're not very afraid of us when we're, when we're unwilling to use the tools at our disposal. Mm. And I think, they're not afraid of us at all, of us per se. They're afraid that we will use the authority of Jesus. Mm. And the Holy Spirit wants us to use that. He wants us to learn to use it actively.
3: Mm-hmm. Not,
1: not just, I mean, blanket prayers of protection are excellent. I wouldn't discourage anybody from doing that. Um, but sometimes when you have a sense, you ought to say, you know, as, as Jesus did, get behind me, Satan. You yeah. know, sometimes he said, resist, resist the devil. And sometimes he rebuke the devil and sometimes he use scripture against the devil. Yeah.
2: So. so it seemed like there was an overall, there was an attack that felt like fear inducing and also maybe creating a spirit of, of disunity. Was that accurate? For sure.
1: Yeah. Oh, the disunity. Yeah. 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 Given the country that we were in, I, I, I wish I could give you more details, but a spirit of disunity, it's like, duh, no kidding. There is the You're right. disunity. Nobody trusts anybody. Yeah. You know? And so... The fact that we were there suffering from disunity, it wasn't even common to us, but other other groups that worked there, uh, if, I, if, I asked, if I asked other groups that worked there, what was the number one thing that affected you? And they would, invariably, they would say disunity on the team.
3: Mm, fascinating.
1: And one friend of mine told me that, that he took a group there and, um, and the team, two women that had spent their whole lives together as friends, never spoke to each other again after the trip. Whoa. So That's you know, intense. That, no, it's been a long time since he told me that. So maybe they've got it resolved.
3: Right. I hope they do. But
2: I, know. I
1: hope they did. Yeah, I hope they do. And I would say that the fighting that we had, because you got to hear at the end of that story, uh, mm-hmm. it was all resolved. It was mm-hmm. all resolved. And then the relationships actually became, you know, way, way better. We had this mm-hmm. shared experience. We'd resolved it, you know, through Jesus's incredible, gracious love.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, he redeemed those friendships. And and we actually had deeper friendships than we than any of us ever would have imagined. So it's not a it's not a loss. It was a W. It was a win.
2: So this is a bit off topic, but um just just really quickly, what, what are the what's the advice that you would give to somebody to a new missionary who is about to go on the field that also feels like maybe he hasn't been or she hasn't been prepared for this level of kind of uh, spiritual engagement or, or just kind of a, a deepened sense of awareness of what's going on around him?
1: Understanding the authority of Jesus' name and a willingness to use it is the number one thing I would say. Yeah. But I would also have some resources for people. I would highly recommend a book by Charles Kraft called "I Give You Authority," which is a great place to start amongst his many excellent books. Okay, Um, some of his books would freak the average person out, and I think they probably should be read anyway. (laughs)
3: Uh, But
1: I think that book—I think that book won't freak too many people out, and then you'd be going, "Oh yeah, okay, that makes sense." And then, um, but it has to do with with the the spiritual disciplines of a healthy christian walk and that that is you got to know your word you got to know people read the word because they feel like they have to i don't ever read that way anymore like Mm. i don't read because i feel any sense of obligation i read because i need it like Mm. i need this to know what to say when something happens to me Mm. or someone else is going to need it and i need like the holy spirit will give me will bring verses to mind for other people for example you know they're not necessarily the typical verse you'd expect for a given situation there might be some obscure verse in some minor prophet, but it comes to mind with just the right person. And the Holy spirit knows that that person was also thinking about that. Yeah. And when I say it and they, they're going like, this happened many, many times, man, I was just thinking about that this morning. Well, that's fantastic. You know, but how could I do that without knowing the word?
3: Right. Like, right.
1: You're asking the Holy spirit to paint a picture, but you're not giving him any anything. And knowing <laughs> the word is the, is the media that he uses to communicate with them.
2: Yeah. We'll link that in our, in our show notes. So,
0: yeah. And I'll I'll go get it. That yeah. sounds fascinating. Yeah. All right. Well, that, man, that is all really helpful. And I'd love to just kind of pivot at this point and maybe talk more specifically around how we see spiritual warfare within the fundraising context and You know, I know some people think of it more kind of later when you're on the field and how spiritual warfare can affect you once you're overseas. But but really, you know, spiritual warfare, as we said earlier, is all around us all the time. And Mm -hmm. so let's let's maybe talk about how that shows up even in the earliest stages of fundraising.
1: Yeah. So let's say you imagine, you know, God might have suggested to you that you go work in a foreign country in the Middle East, for example. And then you go find out all the organizations that are working there and they say to you, well, yeah, we want you to work there, but you got to go raise your own money from your own network to do it. Mm-hmm. And then you think, well, I don't want to do that. Right. That's usually, that's usually pretty typical.
2: Pretty <laughs> typical. would have been right? my typical
1: response for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So that's a scenario. A lot of people that probably this podcast are listening to this podcast are thinking, mm-hmm. um, you know, basically you've got three, you've got three opponents to almost anything you do as a believer. You've got, and this is biblical, I'm pretty sure, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Mm. So um, the world will tell you that's the stupidest thing you could ever do. No one's going to pay you. No one's going to pay you for that. You're going to work that hard and no one's right. going to pay you. Get a real not job. That's what the world tells you. Right. Get a real job. And, and not only that, but you're going to ask other people to give you money to do it. Mm-hmm. Even dumber. <laughs> and a lot of the people that are telling you that are, are, are related to you. Right. <laughs> you're going to ask our friends to give you money. This is what I heard. Right. Right. And, uh, no, I think you should go there as, you know, go become a doctor and go there as a doctor. Well, it turns out they don't get the doctors either, but still, right. you know, uh, go find some other way of getting there. And, uh, but don't ask our friends for money. Like you'll hear that's the world. Mm. Okay? Then the flesh says, the flesh says, you say to yourself, so the flesh is you talking to you. Okay. This is how I understand it.
3: Mm-hmm. It's
1: all the dumb things I say to myself. That's mm. I understand the flesh. Okay. So, so you say to yourself wow, I'm probably not good enough to do this. Mm. I don't think I'm spiritual enough to do this. I don't think I have enough faith to ask anybody for money, never mind asking God to help me do it.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I've never done anything like this before. I can't even imagine myself doing this. Mm.
3: Uh,
1: you're not, uh, you don't even like people. Like, this all <laughs> the stuff that goes to your head, that's the flesh. <laughs> then the devil knows the flesh super, super well, and he says the exact same thing to mm-hmm. you. And it's like, You're useless. Why would anyone, why would you or anyone else want to send you anywhere?
2: Yeah, that really connects well to what Dr. Moreau said in a previous episode about the same topic. Those, those scripts or those tapes or those soundtracks that we keep telling ourselves again and again, and the devil, the enemy plays off of that and emphasizes it, magnifies it even. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's not a hard script to write because everyone has the same script. Like, honestly, yeah. I, you could go on and on because everyone, sometimes you say that, you were reading my mind. No, everybody thinks that way. Right. <laughs> and it, and there's only one way to conquer it. And that is through what do I actually believe? Okay, well, you've got the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit says, I am not the spirit of fear, but I am a spirit that is of love, of power, and a sound mind. Mm-hmm. The spirit of God is not a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And then you've got Jesus himself says, go anywhere you want and i'm going to go with you.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Use my name whenever you need to use it and i will back you up. That's what he says. He mm-hmm. sent out, out the 70s us the, he sent out the 12 and he uh, and he said to them go don't bring anything with you cuz all you need is me basically. Yeah. You know, and and they're going i can't believe it it worked. They come back and their their their, their reaction is i can't believe it that actually worked. <laughs> right. Now believe it or not The the command is still the same. And the people still come back saying the exact same thing. Mm. I can't believe it. That actually worked. Mm. And the story I told previously is a good example of that, using the name of Jesus to get rid of the enemy spirit in your room. Right. So then you have actually got the word. So Paul himself, you know, encouraged us to go do things on faith. And then, you know, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews commanded us that people who did things on faith, um, like Abraham, they were given the direction, but they were not given the destination. And that's what they were commanded for. Mm. So the very thing that you're most afraid of, not knowing where you're going, is the thing we're told to do. Mm. So here's another side note. Sometimes people think, well, I want to know where I'm supposed to go. Well, don't ask them where you're supposed to go. Ask them what direction you're supposed to go. I bet you anything that's a better
2: question, mm. first mm. question mm.
1: than any other yeah. question. Yeah, love that. To be honest, I think people sometimes get their countries wrong. They got their continents right, but they're country's wrong.
2: Oh, interesting. Okay. (laughs)
3: So
1: so then they limit themselves. So I'm going to call to this country or that country. Well, all he said was go East. (laughs) He gave you a word and you wrote a paragraph. That Uh happens a lot, I think.
3: And
1: Hmm. to me anyway, speaking for myself, I've written a lot of paragraphs where I was only given a word, but the word of God does tell us to go and take a risk. And that risk is called, is called faith. And then what does God himself say about himself throughout the entire book is you can trust me and I'm faithful. Yeah. So all of that great theory, fantastic theory. I believe all those things people will tell you, but you have no idea if you actually believe them until you go out and do any of them. Right. There's no way of proving that you believe it by just saying you believe it. You have to go test it. Right. And it, the only way to test it is to go take what seems like a risk.
2: You have to move it from head to hands, to, from, from from your mind to, to practice, yeah, you have yeah, to practice and, it. Yeah. yeah, and feet. Yeah, and feet, yeah. yeah. And
1: feet, yeah. So, 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 then, so then you say, well, does anyone have any stories of this ever working in modern times? Well, in fact, we do. And, you know, we've sent out, what, 10 15,000 people, you know, as an organization and other organizations, similar numbers over the last, three decades, four decades.
3: Mm-hmm. The
1: vast majority come back and say the exact same thing that 12 said when they came back. It works. I can't yeah. believe it. It works. And they've got stories. Did they get rich? No. Did they have just enough? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Is just enough what we're supposed to have? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I probably had the least amount of faith of anyone I could imagine when starting this. <laughs> and now I can, I can look someone straight in the eye and say, if he wants you to go, nothing like finances will stop you. hmm And the only way to get the finances is to do your side of the work and ask him to take care of the rest. You, I think, prepare the chariots and he will win the war. Yeah. By way of example, so one of the countries we go to has a huge amount that any given teacher has to raise. And we're getting it from a country that is not well known for its generosity. So it's not the U.S., which is well known for its generosity. I don't know if you all knew that, but
3: <laughs> hmm, it
2: is. Hmm, that feels good.
1: And so um, there's something to feel good about today. Yeah. So the country where I'm in is not well known for its generosity, and uh, so we're it's a harder place to, to raise funds. People say, actually, yeah. but these people that are going to this country are asked to raise, you know, in U.S. dollars. I think it's like the biggest one is like 130,000 U.S. dollars per year. Per
2: year. Wow. To go to this country. Yeah. yeah, per
1: year, per year. Okay. So if you translate it into my currency, it's like a million dollars. I know it's not that much. It's <laughs> a lot. Okay? Yeah. So everyone looks at that. What does the world say? That's impossible. World and every believing person you know says that's impossible. Yeah. Including some of the people that are asking you to do it. <laughs> okay. Right. <laughs> everyone thinks it's impossible because <laughs> it looks ridiculously high. Yeah. You know, by comparison, the country next door has to raise about 18,000. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So, so the, this country's you know almost eight times, seven or eight times more. So it, it looks like an impossible task. We got a family with one of those high profiles with four kids at four kids at the time. Now they have five, and they needed an additional fifty thousand dollars in order to get greenlit, which means it's not the full amount, but it's enough for us to tell you you can go. I think it's like eighty percent of what you need. Okay. And so we were saying, well, this, you know, we always put deadlines on this, these things. So you know, if you don't get that in the next two weeks, you know, then you're not going to go. We can't send you back because we're not going to send you back, and then have you go in the hole. And so it was desperate. I get a call from a pastor who heard about the country that we go to, and was asking me about it. Said, I want to hear about oh, about what you do there. And I started telling him stories about this family, about the rest of the team that's there, how much they enjoy being there, how much they love it. Just wow. You guys love being at there. All I hear is that people hate going over there. I don't know what they're talking about. But we're having a good time.
3: Mm. You
1: know these these families. They you know it's not easy. You know it's, it's isolated, but yeah, they're growing and they know it and they mm. love it. And he cheered up on the phone. Mm. And he said, "What can I do?" And I said, "Well, I, I don't normally do this, but I said, you know, if they don't get fifty thousand dollars in the next few weeks, I said they're not going. They're not going. They're not. We can't greenlight.
3: Them. Yeah.
1: And he got quiet again. And I. I feel like he was tearing up on the phone. I think he was. And then quietly he says, okay, I got to go, but I'm going to do something about this. The next day he went back to his church and said, told the story and they threw in 25,000. Wow. Like half of wow. the amount the next day. Wow. And then two days later, he, he texted me. He said, I got to talk to you. So he calls me all excited. He said, yeah, I went to with this guy in our church and he's like the rich guy that everybody goes to. And I thought he was going to say, no, he's going to be so sick of us asking for money. Right. right. And, uh, and, uh, and in fact, he said, I'll give you a check right now. He gave a check to me. I sent the check. It's on the way. $50,000. Tell the couple they're going.
2: Wow.
1: And um, Praise the Lord. And all of that, I never called him. I never called him. Nobody called him and asked him for that amount of money. No one thought that his fellowship was capable of doing that. He heard about us from one of his congregations who was working with us in a, in a third country, in another country. and And none of us had any goal Before those conversations started, thinking that that was a solution to that problem, not even an inkling. Right. Well, the story got even better. Um, It turns out that one of his assistant pastors was the pastor of the husband of this couple, (laughs) who had commissioned his father to go work in the Mediterranean like 35 years ago. Okay. Okay. So, so there was a family connection, and you think, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. What the father of the couple. Wait, okay, the father of the husband of the couple. Okay, this is too
2: hard. <laughs> we need, a, we need a family tree couple. here. <laughs>
1: we need a family tree. But in yeah. any case, there was a tight connection, but that father had left the faith, and the son who is now with us had been burdened with this. And and then this church coming back on board and that particular pastor being connected to his father, he said to me, This is this is God's redemption on my family.
3: Hmm. It's
1: like he's telling me, he's reaffirming with <clears throat> the calling on my family's life. The guy was just everyone was they heard the story, like the the pastors that were involved and the whole family, everybody was on the phone at one of the times and they were all bawling. Everybody wow. was crying. Wow. It's just a ridiculous story. Now if I told you that's the only that's not the only time that's happened. I don't know how many stories you want to hear.
2: If you hadn't had the conversation, if you hadn't had the relationship, and if you hadn't had the courage to even just put that need out there, then that goes unmet.
1: Is yeah, it- and I wouldn't say it was particularly courage.
3: OK, <laughs> um, other, it
1: was courage would have been the first time I'd ever done something like that. And then wondering if it, what was going to happen. But now it becomes so common mm. that I think to myself, well, there's almost no risk to this, because first of all, I realize that people don't necessarily hate you for saying things like that. I used to think they would. Yeah, they just They'll just say, oh, actually, we can't help Or, Oh, that's interesting. I'll keep that in mind. And that's the end of it. Yeah. But every once in a while you get these ridiculous <coughs> stories and it's not I wouldn't call it encouraged so like in fact i got a cowardice story that turned out well <laughs> like we had a crisis we had a crisis oh i don't know we always have a crisis sometimes but the financial crisis and one of our big donors had dropped the whole organization and it was it was quite a lot like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars that they gave us and then we were no longer going to get the whole organization hmm. so we were we were a little desperate we had programs that were depending on that money and we didn't want to let them go and uh and I could think of, I so said, I think, well, who are our other donors? And I think of this one guy I know who I knew he had some resources because he supported teachers with us, but I didn't know how capable he was. And I did not want to call him. And in my prayer, it was, God, I don't want to call him and ask him and tell him what our crisis is. And then ask, because I haven't talked to him for months. And right. he's going to think I'm calling him just asking for money, blah, 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 right? All these. Sure, right old things went through my head. So I said, God, would you call him? Like, obviously he's not going to call him on the phone, but would you talk to him? Mm-hmm. And then I didn't think about it again. And then like a week later, I'm sitting at the airport waiting for my wife and the cell phone pickup. I don't know why that details of Probably not. And he calls me and he says, hey, I heard about your problem through another person. And my wife and I were praying and we want to commit to you a $100,000 a year for the next five years. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I never called him. Like, I never called him. Yeah. And and I've never had to <clears throat> remind him.
3: And mm. it's come
1: in, and, and he went past the five years. Yeah. And so I think he's on, like, year seven now. Yeah. So think about that. $700,000 on a cowardly prayer.
3: Mm. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, you know, what did I do? Well, I did pick up the phone. You know, I did ask God for help. I I do otherwise... Everything I'm asked to do in terms of fundraising, I do all those things. Like, I'm not sitting here doing nothing, just praying. Yeah. Um, But so frequently, it is not related to some particular effort. It is very frequently related to prayer. Mm. And this is just two of the dozens of stories that I have.
3: Yeah. Mm. And so what
1: what I'm saying, okay, the book tells us this. The book tells us who the Holy Spirit is. You know, the book tells you what Jesus said and who he was and what he, what he said he would do with us. And then God himself says he's faithful, and people say he's faithful. Our own experience tells us all of that is true. So it's not just theoretical theology. It's right. absolutely applied. Yeah. And so the challenge to anyone out there who's got all these things going through their mind, from the world, the flesh, and possibly even the devil, first of all, tell the devil to shut up in Jesus' name.
3: Mm.
1: Then tell yourself, I'm going to do this no matter how I feel about it. Yeah. And I'm going to do everything they're asking me to do. So you guys have a system. You know, you've got, uh, it's not an intrusive system. It's not a, you don't have to be super outgoing to accomplish the task. You don't have to be in anyone's face. You know, you have to, you go to ask and send letters, do whatever the recipe is, do it. Sure. I've never seen it successful without doing it.
2: Well, Heather, we've used the term recipe before, I think.
0: Yeah, as opposed to formula. And with a recipe, you know, it can look a little bit different for each person, right? Somebody uses a little bit more salt. Somebody uses a little more, I don't know, butter.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Do you refrigerate the dough before you cook it?
0: Yeah. So in a recipe, there's a lot of room for it to have the same elements but look different which we think is really powerful in fundraising because a lot of times people want us to just say, okay, do this yeah. and you'll get funded. And honestly, there's a, a lot of fundraising training that that kind of boasts that, right? Mm-hmm.
2: That's but comfortable I, though. That feels comfortable. It, it, yeah, yeah, it does
0: feel comfortable. And I think that, you know, like you've said several times, there is an element to, there is this interplay between our work and God's acting in our our asking and God's acting. And so, yes, it is going to take work. And in fundraising, that work does look like some very particular types of behavior. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's definitely not a formula. It's definitely more of a recipe. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, And your metaphor is good because the person doing the baking knows the taste of the people who are going to eat it. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. So you need to tailor your strategy for your own audience, your own culture if what you're being asked to do feels too aggressive for the people that you know, you don't just plow in and do it the aggressive way. You think, well, I need to adjust this because I know mm.
3: these people, mm.
1: you know, that's because we get a lot of, you know, you're all instructions which which you know, in your country, you can be a little more aggressive than we are here.
3: I would say, so I would say direct. <laughs>
2: Yeah, we can be a, well, we can be I'm quite sure direct. You,
1: I'm sure that is what you would say. <laughs> <laughs> to a, but to our ear it doesn't sound direct it sounds aggressive. Sure, sure, okay? sure, so sure. it doesn't matter what it actually is, it's just how it sounds, right? right? So, right. you know, I'm not a relativist, but the culture is well,
2: well, I tell that to my I'm kids, kids all the time. Case, yeah.
1: Yeah, you you want to speak, you know, I'm a linguist, so you want to speak the language that people understand. And so so put it in your dialect. Put it in your in your in your people's dialect and mm-hmm. or, you know, bake the cookie you know, the old, old raisins or chocolate chips, you know, put the right ones in that, that you know, people like. So
2: chocolate chips, that's know, the right answer.
1: Raisins is the right answer. <laughs> or in, in China, it would be rice versus noodles. I think right. So then yeah. noodles is the right answer. Yeah. So, but in any case, there is, there's no laziness allowed in this. I don't think people naturally say, well, I'm just going to do it the lazy way. They just think that they're a little opposed to the effort or the kinds of things they're being asked to do. I'm, um, you, yeah. It's a principle. It feels like a principle, but it's usually not a very principled principle. It's it's more like a pride issue.
3: Mm. And
1: so, most of the problems I had in getting myself to do those things was related to my own pride. I didn't want I didn't want people to see me as weak or as needy or as someone who needed to ask, you know. But I think part of it is I I begin to realize I'm not asking for me. I'm right. I believe what I'm doing is good for the kingdom, and I believe it's good for the people that I'm working with and I can't think of any other way of getting this done. And mm-hmm. that's what I'm asking to participate. in.
2: Yeah. I think, I, if
1: I could think of another way of doing it, I would, but this is, the, this is the way we're going to do this. one.
2: I think you're right. I think, um, so often when we talk to a client or, or somebody about the obstacles that they're experiencing, so many of them can be traced back to, uh, a, a misplaced focus they're focusing a little bit too much on how this is affecting them, how people will see them, the impression that they're going to make versus it's about, it's not about us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. And, you know, for me, the best thing this has done for me is it's built a gift of faith that I didn't even know I had, but it's also helped the pride issues, which I definitely know I have. Mm.
3: Mm.
1: So, um, you know, it's, it's not that I have to sound so humble when I ask it just, the asking itself um, reminds me that I am I am not the center of this picture. I wouldn't say I've conquered this. I'm not giving you the impression mm-hmm. that I've got this figured out at all. But it, it helps me. Maybe it's a lifelong thing of of needing to repeatedly put myself in a place of dependency. It's not yes. Amen. false dependency. I was always dependent on God. Right. And there was points where I knew it, and there's points where I lied to myself.
3: Okay, right. And the
1: points where you lie to yourself overlap completely with pride. Mm. Does that make sense?
0: I think that those are are also words that definitely carry into the actual ministry that you might be doing wherever you are. Andy and I talk a lot about how fundraising is really a season of preparation and mm-hmm. really a season of formation, right, for the future work and and just for your life. And we talk a lot about how there is a parallel in just kind of the reality that. In fundraising, you put in a lot of effort, and you pray, and only the Lord bears the fruit. And it's the same in ministry. It's the same with a dead heart beating and and believing in the gospel. Right? We we put in the work, um, and we sow. It's only the Father that can mm-hmm. can bring a harvest. And so I think that, yeah, again, this season of fundraising, these you know these learning lessons of faith and. Seeing our pride—I mean, that plays out in ministry, right? Like, we can all feel prideful if we've been investing in an area or investing in a ministry and we're not seeing fruit. It can feel like a pride thing, right? But if if we're rightly focused on, hey, all I can do is work hard unto the Lord and He brings the harvest. Like, if if that's where we can be, then we then it doesn't become a pride issue, right? And that and that requires faith—the faith that God will will bring fruit if we are just faithful to sow. So I just, yeah, I wanted to point out that parallel again because it just comes up over and over. Mm
1: hundred percent. And I, I think we'd, we'd all do well to go back and read Ezekiel and his Dry Bones mm. um, his adventure, mm-hmm. you know, because he's shown this valley of, of death and the results of death. And then he's told to speak life over it. And, you know, so he does. And then the life returns step by step. Interestingly, I noticed this recently that there's a step by step process in that Dry bone story, mm. which I, I think is overlooked sometimes.
2: Interesting. You know, because yeah. first
1: it's bones rattling, then they come together and the flesh are put on. He, he needs one more command to breathe, the life of, breathe life back into the flesh and bones. Hmm. And, you know, it tells you there's a process that's going on. And what was what Ezekiel's process in it? He just did what he was told.
3: Mm-hmm. And,
1: but did, did, did Ezekiel's power breathe life into dry bones? Absolutely not. There's no way in that picture you could see that it was Ezekiel's power. And there's a reason that story is included. It's because hmm. our act of breathing life into things is exactly the same, and God showing us the valleys is exactly the same thing. So what is your calling on your life? He's showing you valleys. He's showing you valleys filled with dry bones, and he's saying, go breathe life into them. Mm. And so either we do, or we just say, no, it won't work. You know, so what's it going to be? Like, no, it's not, no, I'm not going to. Well, God showed it to you, but you're still not going to. No, I don't think it'll work, so I'm not going to do it.
2: So a valley is a metaphor for anything in your life that's impossible.
1: And well, I would say it's, the, it's not even so much your life as the thing he wants you to go help with. Mm. Someone else's life.
3: Sure, so, right. you know,
1: if it was just my life, that'd be one thing. But me not prophesying over the bones and breathing and speaking them back to life, that has consequences for the people who are in those bones. Mm. You know, I don't want to put the world's pressure onto anyone that's listening you know, that if you don't go, people are going to end up in hell. That's not exact, that's not at all what I'm trying to do. Yeah. But we're connected to each other as human beings. And if he asks, if he gives you a job to do and you don't do it, the bones just lie there. Mm. He, he just says, well, I'm not doing it without you. Mm. I don't even know why he says that. Right. But, you know, fortunately Ezekiel did what he was told. But all we have to do is take a step in that direction towards the valley. And ask, I think it's great to say, you know, I've been trying to do this lately, even where are the valleys around here?
3: Like, mm.
1: show me the valleys of dry bones because I, I know they're here. I'm just not seeing them. Mm. And so then, now what do you want me to do? And because that's what it means to to, to prophesy over the bones changes with every context, I feel. Mm-hmm. So it starts with prayer, for sure, but it may mean going to different places.
0: Yeah, that reminds me of something we talked about with Michael Carr, just in the fact that in Jesus' ministry, he didn't have a formula or a program. He met people individually. And so it makes sense yeah. that in going to those dry bones, it would also it would also be unique, um, unique. Yeah. yeah
3: yeah
0: well this has been a really really engaging and fruitful conversation and we are so grateful that you agreed to join us today mm-hmm. as we wrap up we have a question that we like to ask all of our guests if you had $10,000 that you were given today and you had to give it away who would you give it to and why
1: that happened to me
2: once <laughs> really
1: um, i would yeah i was given $50,000 He didn't give me the money and say, give it away. He said, I've got $50,000 and I'm going to give it where you tell me to give. That works. So what would I do with the money is your question,
0: right?
2: Yep.
3: Mm -hmm.
1: I can't just keep it.
3: No, you have to give it away. (laughs) You have
2: to redirect it.
1: Okay. So a new car is out. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I would give it to the, so in most organizations, there's the individual worker who has to raise their own money. And then there's the organization that has to raise a corporate amount, sure to keep the lights on in the home office and find all the people and send them and support them right so that's yeah how we, so i at the time I said I wanted to go to the workers, so find the people who are short and disperse it amongst those who are short mm-hmm. now I would say find the people who are short, and who you actually want to keep working with you.
3: <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Don't give it to anyone who you're hoping will come home.
3: Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so I think I've grown older and a little wiser. Okay. But I would still say the same thing. I'd give it to the workers. If I could incentivize others to come, maybe it would be someone maybe it be someone who is on the fence, who give it a little bit of a, a, an initial push, would say, wow, it's it's happening, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna be able to do this. Mm.
3: You know,
1: I don't know how you find that person, but it's it's somebody who maybe has said yes, but doesn't have a very good constituency.
2: Mm. Someone you know, who needs a little encouragement. They maybe they don't
1: come from a super wealthy context or something, and you mm. can give them a scholarship. To in fact, someone did this with our organization recently. Like find the people who are having difficulty, but you really want them having difficulty, and then give them this.
2: That's, That's, probably that a long That's probably the most practical answer though that. answer that we've gotten. Yeah. yeah. Practical. yeah and practical. actually,
0: you know what? That happened for me. So I went through an organization several years ago <laughs> to East Asia, and I kind of I kind of committed to go late in the game for when they wanted to send us. I said, yes, I'm in only a couple of weeks before they were going to start orienting everybody to send them. And actually when I arrived at orientation, I I mean, the Lord had been really really faithful. Uh, but yeah, basically they said, we're going to give you this money as just an investment saying we think this is good and right. And, and we want to support that. So that kind of happened to me and it was really cool. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah.
2: Wow. That's really great. And it worked. It did. Yeah, it did. So I'm just curious. I, I don't know that a lot of fundraisers in North America would necessarily say that I I'm failing at fundraising because of some spiritual battle that's going on. I don't know that we're necessarily aware of that, but I also feel like it's probably in the enemy's best interest for us to ignore him in those things. Can you just bring us back to a, to a concluding moment or a word of advice for, for people that maybe they don't sense it, but it probably is there probably is something happening behind the scenes. What advice do you have for people as they're, as they're fundraising and they're trying to gain a better awareness of of what's happening spiritually around them.
1: I think that it sounds like the easy answer, but the more you pray, and the more people you have on your team with you to pray, and then be specific in your prayers. Mm. And so, if you're sensing opposition, like no one's answering my emails, no one's answering my texts, you know, I would pray a prayer something like, "In the name of Jesus, any enemy scheme that's trying to work against me, I forbid it in Jesus' name." Mm. And you know, if these emails are being you can say if if you want if these emails are being blocked by something or people are just not getting into them because some enemy thing, we say no to that in Jesus' name. Like it sounds, a weird weird for a lot of believers to say that. But if I hadn't seen so many results with this, I would I would not recommend it. But I have mm. seen a lot of results with that. Mm. It is covering. A, it is offensive prayer. It's prayer on the offense, but it's also offensive to the enemy. It's mm. like Take away his authority. Take away the areas that you feel are where you're being resisted. Mm. You know, if you feel like you're even more prone to certain sins in this process, well, you know, I'm not a big accountability partner fan, but bring someone in to pray for you, even if you don't want to be specific about your sin with other people, which not many people want to be. Yeah. You know, just say, "Can you cover me? I feel like I'm more negative, or I'm feeling like I'm feeling my own sense of darkness. Can you cover me?" with your prayer and i think we need to do this less alone Mm. and more with the body of christ
3: and Mm.
1: if if there is one thing i learned is that we are not meant to work alone Mm.
2: Mm. that's good
1: and that we say we're individualistic as a north american culture we have no idea how badly we are individualistic yeah so we think no i gotta solve this on my own this is my problem no it isn't
2: right because if you ask for help i
1: can read this up on the body of christ yeah because if you ask for help then you're uh, you're weak you're weak, yeah, yeah. But we are weak. And his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Yeah. His strength arrives when we ask for it with other people. So and there he, you go.
2: He uses the weak. That's the whole point. Of course if it, he does. Yeah. Like,
1: it's like, and, the, and, the, and the strong people you have around you, they're usually like the people who look super strong and together you know they look way more impressive than they actually are right right don't read the famous missionary stories they weren't that impressive i knew some of them i know yeah. some of them now we're yes. going to write this books. they're not that impressive <laughs> right so yeah. um but you know the people that know that will pray for you that will be faithful month after month it's sometimes people you don't even like like there was a guy who i had nothing in common with who faithfully prayed for me every time i traveled mm. i almost dreaded talking to him, but he always
2: covers. (laughs)
1: Now that's a gift.
2: Interesting. Yeah. You say that the prayer is an easy thing, but maybe it, because it's so easy, we take it for granted.
1: Yeah. Well, we think it's not doing something, right? Yeah. So we don't don't just pray about it. Do something. Well, praying about it is doing something. something. It's like pray about it and do something.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's really been a blessing. As Heather said, we look forward to getting this out for our listeners, for them to, uh, to enjoy this.
0: All right. Thank okay. you. It's been
1: fun. Yeah. All right. You guys have a great
2: day. All right, you too. It's Not About the Money is presented by Provisio Fundraising Solutions. Provisio equips support-based workers with flexible training, practical resources, and one-on-one coaching. Find out more at
3: ProvisioFundraising.com.